Well, good morning. Been thinking a lot this week about a real painful thing that happened to Jenny and I a few years ago. Uh, when we were first married, we had the privilege when I was working at Forest Home to be part of a, a small group. And, and in this small group, there were five different couples. And we got together for three years straight on a real regular basis, every other week at one point. Uh, We laughed a lot together. We ate a lot of great food together. We read different books. We studied different parts of the scripture. Uh, And in those special moments in in our lives, those would be the first five couples, the first four other couples at that particular time in our life uh, that would gather. We emailed a lot. We were close. And then life happened and some people moved, and, but we kept contact. But I'll never forget the day where we opened up an email and the subject line of the email was sharing some news. As we went on to read the email, one of those couples was informing the rest of us uh, that they were going to get a divorce. And then they cited that they've had marital problems their whole life. That their entire marriage, they've been these serious issues that they've been trying to overcome. These things that were present even during those three years where we all gathered. But as the rest of us got together and started remembering back on our time together, we couldn't recall one time where they shared something specific about their struggle. I mean, these were the people that we were doing life with. These were the people that we were following Jesus with. And somehow in the idea that when we gather and we come together to be this community, we still have some very real issues in terms of vulnerability and honesty. And it was so easy for me to think about this particular couple and kind of from a place of judgment go, what were they thinking? And then I was reminded of another group that Jenny and I were in. At one point we were in two different groups and this one particular group we had started and And we had a sense that that we couldn't do two things at once. And so all summer, Jenny and I were processing, leaving one of these groups. And then I remember we shared our conclusion that we needed to pull out of this small group. And we shared that over an email. And then when we came for that last time together, we didn't talk about it. We didn't bring people into the struggle or what we were facing. We just shared with them the conclusions. When it comes to the idea of community, it is a word that means so many different things, but it's often a word we say a lot at church. And a lot of us have the notion, and we know that the way this uh, life with Jesus is planned out is that we need other people in our lives who know the Lord. But even when we gather in those times, we have some real issues. There's a lot of confusion about what it is to be community. And this morning as we get back into the book of Acts, we are going to see an image of community that I believe will be inspiring, but it will also be very convicting for us. If you remember where we are in the book of Acts, the, the Pentecost has happened and the Spirit has come onto the apostles and Peter has just preached his first sermon. And at the very end, we see that the first response, the, 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 the launch of the early church, it says 3,000 people said, I'm in, and they joined the church, and they believed who Jesus was. And then at the end of Acts 2, we have a summary statement, kind of a thesis as to what that first movement of God, the first early church, what it was like. 
And we're going to see these summary statements again throughout the book of Acts as the church grows. But this first summary statement captures the essence of what community was. And I would suggest to you that for us to, to, to allow this definition of community come into our life would force us to be a new kind of community around here. So will you join me in reading God's word and please stand. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Remember the summary statement of what the church was like at this point. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Very straightforward scripture. I'd love to tell you that we're going to get into it and prayer meant something different or that they were all together meant something different. It's very clear. But I believe that in these few verses, we see an image of a new kind of community. And there's four different observations I want to point out. The first one is this. If you look again with me in verse 42, we see that this new community, this new kind of community had some commitments. It says this in 42, it says they devoted themselves, there's four things, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. First, the apostles' teaching. Remember, they didn't have a New Testament to look at. (laughs) They just had first-hand accounts from the apostles with this very authoritative and compelling story and testimony about who Jesus was and how Jesus died and that Jesus was resurrected. This was the teaching that the new church was committed to. They would gather around and hear more about Jesus and this way of living that he had taught them about. And they were committed to that. They were committed to learning more about Jesus. It says they were committed to fellowship. The idea that there was a, they they had a group identity. That there was something sociological about the way they gathered, that they were the church and they had this identity in the world that people knew who they were because they gathered together. And they weren't just a group of people who were committed to teaching, but they were a group of people committed to being together in the world and to to being committed to fellowship. It says they were committed to the breaking of bread. And there's a bunch of theories or different assessments on what that meant. But what it means for us is they were committed to having some meals together. Some people would say it was a ceremonial meal, a Jewish customary meal, or maybe it was the Eucharist, right? Because Jesus broke bread and said, do this often. And while I am certain that they shared the Eucharist and remembered uh, Christ and his sacrifice, this definition of what they were committed to had more to do with them being together, with them living all of their lives together having meals together, breaking of bread. And it also says that they were committed to prayer. 
The interesting, I'd love to know what these prayers were, but there's some information to suggest that they used kind of the old forms of prayer, kind of the Old Testament forms, the way that the people had prayed for years. But all of a sudden, they had new information. They had a new Lord. They had a broader definition of what it meant to pray and to whom they're praying. And so they were committed to pray. And it was almost this commitment of old and new coming together, that the old forms that they used were being infused by new information and by new energy and by a new commitment now to Jesus Christ. This community was committed to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. And that's to say that this community was committed to moving deeper They were committed to moving deeper in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were committed to moving deeper into their relationships with one another. You get the picture that this group of people had a deep, passionate commitment to these kinds of things. It wasn't something that they just did every now and then. That this community was intense. That this community was revolutionary. That this community was committed to moving deeper with one another and with God. And just a note, this idea that they were moving deeper in prayer is the exact reason why we want to be a community moving deeper into prayer. That's why we're gathering again tonight at 5 o'clock. And even the image of the old forms and the new coming together, it's been a couple weeks and we still have this tendency. I've heard people, well, we didn't pray enough and it was different and I like something better. We're just trying to figure this out together. We're not shooting for perfection. So tonight we're going to come back and be a community that's committed to prayer, that's committed to being deeper in terms of our faith in Christ, our prayer life, our fellowship with one another. First observation of this new kind of community is that a new kind of community has some pretty deep commitments. Deep commitments to God, to Jesus, His teaching, and commitments to one another. Second observation. Not just that there was only a community commitments, but we see that there was a public reaction. Look with me at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. When it says everyone, it means everyone. It wasn't internal language. It wasn't the, the, the church was really impressed with one another and it, they were in awe. This has to do with the public. That as this group of people had these commitments to teaching and to fellowship and to prayer and to the breaking of bread, that people in the public noticed And they noticed and had awe. They had a sense of wonder. They had a curiosity. That as they saw this group of people and this new church be about these commitments, that all of a sudden the public noticed that and was curious and had a wonder about that. Friends, there's a relationship in these first two verses where we see that an inward commitment of the community, an inward commitment to to the right things, to fellowship, um, to teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer. As a community commits to those things, there's an outward reaction. That people start noticing something different. I remember a few years ago, I actually got to spend some time with a former pastor of ours, Dina Moore. Many of us got to see her when she was in town. And and, and she faithfully served for about 10 years here in our preteen ministry, an incredible woman of God. And if you recall Dina's story, that towards the end of her time here, 
her husband Terry was working on a roof of a home that they were rehabbing. And he was by himself, and he had fallen off that roof and suffered a traumatic brain injury. And remember walking with Dean during that time, all of us as a church, praying for her, but her husband Terry very slowly died from that brain injury. And this church came around her in some profound ways. And one of those ways was this church said, we're going to finish that house. We're going to finish the work that they had started. And I remember one particular Saturday where there was about 50, maybe 70 of us at her home. And people were showing up with their tools. People were showing up bringing lunch. People were showing up and learning how to do work that they never had done on their own home. But they were going to do this for Dina and for Terry and their family. And I remember leaving my, that house that night, walking to my car on her street in Glendora, when a neighbor approached me and said, who are you people? Right? And I, I just shared, so we're just a group of people from Lake Avenue Church, and this is our sister, and they're in some, some tough times right now, and, and when people are in tough times, the church comes alongside them. And I remember this person said, I've never heard of a church do something like that. Right? Because when the community of faith is about the right things, when there's a commitment, a commitment to going deeper with one another, to going deeper in the scriptures and the teaching of Jesus, there's outward curiosity. And my question for us as a community is, are people curious about us? When we're sitting at Coco's with our men's group, which we keep that place in business, you know that, right? We should have bought Coco's a long time ago. But when you're at Coco's with your men's group or your, or your Bible study, do other people notice something about you? Does, do, do those waitresses notice something about you when you're going about your life of following Jesus? Are people curious about that? Do they, would they say, that's a group of people or that's a family or that's a household that makes me curious, that I have a little bit of awe and wonder? And friends, we need some more public reaction that's positive for the church. Amen? So we've got the first observation that this community had commitments. And as a community made those commitments, there was a public reaction. But the next thing we see in verse 44 through 47a is that this community had some traits, too. That we know what they were committed to, but now we're going to see how it actually tangibly showed up in their lives. What were the traits of this community? Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. We see a few things. We see this idea that all the believers, this new church, right, it wasn't fragmented. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. This wasn't a church that when they came together, they separated. This was a church that they were all together. And they had things in common with one another. We also see that they were a generous church. We, we see that they sold their possessions and property for one another. And there, there's an argument that will be made because we will see in the book of Acts that this new church, that this new community is a community that will be under severe persecution. And that there were economic sanctions to them. And, and there were ways that they were being oppressed by the government. And because of that oppression, that's why they had to pool their resources together and to survive. And I think that that's probably true. But 
Can't we see throughout the scripture that there's an idea, exactly what Greg was talking about and the video was speaking about, that the community of faith has always been interested in giving up for the other. Whether it's in the very beginning of the scriptures where where people were told, leave the, the edges of your field for those who have no money. Leave a little something extra. Or whether it was the scripture we saw today where the instruction from Jesus is really clear. If you need something to eat, or you need shelter, or you need somebody to visit you when you're sick or in prison, there's an idea that we always, as a community, give up for the other. I mean, that's what Jesus did his very self. He gave up of himself so that you and I and humanity for all time might be set free. So we see at this very first experience of community, we see this biblical theme that we've seen before, the idea that when a community gathers, one of the ways they gather is that they are they know what's going on with one another and they meet one another's needs. It says that they met daily in the temple courts. We know that that daily thing is so important. So every morning this week, six o'clock, everybody's going to come back here. We got it's a joke. It's a joke. They didn't meet daily forever, but they met daily right away. They met in a certain part of the temple, Solomon's Colony, where they would, they would do that time of prayer, where they would do that kind of teaching. But we know from the next thing when it says they break bread, that they didn't just gather in the temple to do religious things, but they met in homes together too. That they had meals together. Friends, the, the community traits were their, their commitments lived out. And I've been thinking all week, I need a really witty acronym with some modern language so that we can be this kind of community. And I just couldn't make it happen. So you get CCGG. And if you Google that, it's going to say that that's the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance or the California Council on Gerontology and Geriatrics. But that's not what, not what we're going to do. CCGG, I'm going to give you different C's. The first one, the first C, I think these would be traits for us. Informed by Acts 2, what would those traits be for us as a church and even for our smaller communities? First one, consistent. Don't you get an image in Acts 2 that these people were together a lot? It says that they met daily, that they met in homes, that they knew what was going on with one another's lives. Friends, for, to be a new kind of community means we need to be a consistent group of people gathering together. And far too often I hear from people, well, we don't do small group anymore. We were hurt. Or that was something we used to do and we're in between right now. And we present the idea of community as an optional thing when we see from the very beginning pages of the scripture and even now in Acts 2 that consistency is all about faith. So the first C is consistent. The next one is candid. This is where I think we've got a lot of room to grow. It speaks to the, how I opened this sermon. Talking about the friends who got a divorce or the way Jenny and I informed our friends that we were no longer going to be apart. Friends, we have a problem in the church. And it's this, is that we have gotten used to sharing conclusions with one another, but we don't share our problems with one another. Friends, we, we don't share our, conclu- we just share our conclusions with one another and we don't bring people into our problems. And so all of a sudden we hear of another person who's either left our church or, or left the small group or, or what, and they, they never brought anybody into what was really going on because somehow that's private stuff. That's stuff we do on our own or there's certain things we don't talk about. 
or there are certain aspects to life and faith that are too complicated, and so we hold those close. Friends, it says in this group of people that they knew each other's economic status. They knew the financial troubles that everyone was going through, so much so that they met those needs by selling their own things for one another. There's a level of being candid there that I think should inspire us to be much more open and to move past just sharing conclusions, but to be a group of people who brings people into our problems and to our tensions. Consistent, candid, first G, generous. Don't you get this image of generosity? I talked to my mom this week. Some of you know our story. I'm not from a churched home. I'm not from a a Christ-following home, but we went to church. It was good for business, for my dad. And I knew that the church had come around us in some significant ways once my parents were divorced. Things like my brother and I being a part of a single-parent home, never once, never once didn't have to miss, miss a trip, a missions trip, a camp or anything, because the church came along our family and made sure we got there. But my mom tells the story that there was a season where, when my parents were together, that we actually went to church a little bit more, and they had fallen on some real difficult times. My, my dad's business wasn't doing so well, and so they were seven house payments that they hadn't paid, and we were about ready for that home to be foreclosed on. When someone in the church... Now, I think it's really important. My parents were not church leaders. My parents were probably not even church members. They were church attenders. And someone in the church had heard about that situation. And my mom says, and this man came over to the house and wrote a check for all seven payments and then put us on a payment plan back. And we eventually paid him back. Friends, the church has always been a place of generosity. My mom still has that home because someone in the church knew what the need was and had the ability to meet that need. Generous. My mom also talks about that once my parents actually divorced, another man came to the home, and I remember him. In fact, I, I, I still talk to him. A man named Tom Nelson, financial planner. Tom would come to our home every other month, and for five years after my parents' divorce, he offered his services to my mom for free and would come over and help us work on budget, help her figure out how to, how to live on one salary. Friends, The community, a new kind of community, is a community that is committed to generosity. And that generosity often is so connected to our ability to be open and honest and candid with one another. But the last G is it's also a community that's gracious. I just love this line where it says, uh, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You get the idea that there was a a giddiness, an excitement, a joy that was present when they came together as a community. And I'll just admit to you that sometimes I think this graciousness is something we often forget about. Again, we value the experience of the community time together based on other things. At the end of the day, instead of coming with a gracious, a glad and sincere heart, with an openness that will just experience God at whatever God's going to do today. Instead of coming with expectations that are maybe more in the preference category than they are in the spiritual category. Friends, we see these community traits in Acts, and we have a, now a, a metric for us to think about our, our church and our smaller groups. Are we, are we consistent 
Are we candid? Are we generous? Are we gracious? I ask you to consider those things this week. And then the final thing is we see in the last part of 47, this kingdom result. Where it says, uh, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, we see this relationship. That as a community becomes like this, a community that is generous, a community that is open and honest, a community uh, that is consistent, a community that is gracious, as that community lives out, all of a sudden more people want to be a part of that community. More people say, if that's what it's about, if that's what following Jesus looks like, then I want in. And we get this picture of a vibrant church. A vibrant community. And when there's a vibrant community, when there's a vibrant church full of graciousness, generosity, openness, consistency, when that kind of church, when that kind of community takes root, people want to join that kind of community. But friends, I think far too often you and I settle for a very different community. Right? If this is the summary statement for this particular church movement, what would the summary statement be for the church today? So I, I wrote what I think it might look like. And I want you to know that this, is, this isn't an accusation to this church, because this is an accusation to me, just as, as much as it is to all of us. I think like at the book, the end of two, we see this summary, this thesis of what it was like to be a part of this church. What is our summary? What is our thesis? And friends, I'll admit to you that I think it sounds something like this. They devoted themselves to getting to the church service as much as they could. Most of the time they enjoyed the sermons and thought they were good. They were committed to sitting next to and talking to those they already knew, and rarely sought out new people that were in their midst. If they really knew someone, they might share a meal and gather outside of the church service. However, even with the people they knew well and fellowshiped with, financial needs rarely came up, as many felt embarrassed to share or to ask for help. They often gave away what they no longer needed or found valuable for their lives, but only to places that could provide them with a charitable donation receipt. Sometimes they came to the church service with glad hearts, but many came looking and waiting for something to frustrate them. And every now and then someone was added to their number. Friends, a vibrant community. A community that is committed to teaching. A community that is committed to fellowship. A community that's committed to prayer. A community that's committed to breaking bread together. When a community commits to this kind of life, where things like generosity show up, where things like openness and honesty show up, when, the, when this kind of community comes, more people want to be a part of it. And there's an expectation that people will come to faith. Friends, you and I settle for a very different definition of community all the time. And if we say that we're a church 
that reads the scripture and we're about the Bible, then we can't read Acts 2 and not let it mess with us and not let it challenge us. Challenge us to go deeper. So my question for you is, are you moving deeper with Christ? Are you moving deeper with others? Many of you, this might be the only time during the week that you're with someone who's a Christian. And we see in Acts 2 that there's a, a larger rhythm that could take place. Is it time for you to say, no, I want, I want to go deeper? I even think about some small groups I've been in or men's groups, and oftentimes we did the breaking bread really well together, and we did the fellowship really well together, but we weren't as committed to the teaching of the Scripture. Or we weren't as committed to prayer. Is there a way to take Acts 2 and apply it to the communities that we're a part of and to ask ourselves, what would it mean for us to be deeper with Christ and deeper with one another? So often I read something like Acts 2 and the starting point seems so difficult because this image that we even see in the Bible is very compelling and it's so different than the way we live that oftentimes we can get overwhelmed with where to start. And there's a mentor of mine at Fuller. His name's Scott Cormode. He does a lot of leadership stuff over there. He talks about change, congregational change or personal change. And he said, oftentimes we let the, the, the end result overwhelm us and then we never go for anything. And so he always talks about, Jeff, think about what is the next faithful step? What is the next faithful step? Again, that's what Upper Room's about. As we gathered and looked at what was going on with our church, we sensed that the next faithful step, instead of coming up with new ministry plans or new whatever, the next faithful step was we ought to just hear from God. We ought to just pray as a church. So in light of a new kind of community, us moving in an Acts 2 kind of community, The question I have is, what is the next faithful step for us? And I'm going to suggest something that might be hard for us. That the very way we sit in this worship center is by sections, right? It's all sectioned off. In fact, I even think you have numbers on your chairs sometimes. But oftentimes these sections are just merely a perspective to the the show, to the church service that's happening up here. To to participate. And and we, we do good in these seats looking this way. But we can grow in these seats looking towards one another. And so the two-week challenge, this new community challenge, would be I'm going to ask somebody, one or two people from every section who feel brave and courageous to stand. And your job is to get your section together in the next couple weeks. To break some bread together. There might be somebody in your section that can't afford to go out, so somebody's going to have to cover them. Acts 2. Maybe you don't have a home big enough, and so you can do it here on the patio on a Thursday night. But friends, I believe that the next faithful step is making this room not just look forward, but to look to one another, to grow deeper, not just in our understanding of Jesus, but in our understanding of the need for one another in our lives. And some of you say, well, I've got that. It's other places. Regardless, could we be a church that just gathers once with those that we often sit next to, but at the the end of the day, we probably don't know that much about. 
And so at the end of the service, I'm going to ask a couple people to stand in each section, and you are now the organizer, and we're a congregational church, so if like five people show up, great. It's a committee. It's going to be really great. It'll be even better. But think about your section and ask this. Maybe I'm an instrument. Maybe I'm someone who can help connect this group of people closer to one another. Friends, I think there's a compelling image in Acts 2 of what a community does, what it looks like, what it commits to. And friends, I think we need to allow the scriptures to inform us and to challenge us and to grow us as a congregation in our definition of community. And we're going to continue doing something very communal called communion. An opportunity for us to come together as a church and of those of us who follow Jesus to do what he tells us to do in the scripture. If you remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which will be broken for you. He passed the bread around. And then Jesus took the cup, cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And my blood is going to be shed for you and for the forgiveness of sin. He passed that around. He says, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll remember me. Friends, the idea of being a community isn't just a, a, a compelling idea because it's, it's cool to live that way. It's out of our gratitude and, the, and our thankfulness of who Jesus is and what Jesus sacrificed so that you and I might not just be set free eternally, but set free on this earth to be that new kind of community. And so you are going to be dismissed in a moment to come get communion if you can. If you can't get up, there's going to be people walking around. Our communion stewards, if you can come up and prepare the table. Uh, If you can come forward, grab the communion. If you can't, someone will come to you. Again, if you have a gluten allergy and gluten-free, that is all the way to the right. And it's labeled. It has a white tablecloth. I'm going to ask you to come get the bread and get the cup and take it back to your seats. And we will take this meal together once we've all had an opportunity to come forward. Will you join me in prayer? Father, help us to be this new kind of community. Help us to be a place that desperately wants to go deeper in our understanding of you and deeper in our love for one another. God, we remember how deeply you loved us, how deeply you sacrificed for us, We remember now your broken body and your shed blood. And we do now what you've asked us to do, which is to remember that. And so, God, it's out of that place of graciousness and gratitude that we now come and remember your sacrifice. Amen. Please come forward.